This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Today we have back, you know him, you love him. It's Vivek Jacob. How Thanks you doing? Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. Uh, it's been a kind of like, considering there's been no games, it's been a surprisingly wild week. Like I wasn't even sure. I was just saying before we pressed record, like if I'd have an episode this week, if there'd be enough NBA topics to explore, but there definitely is. We're going to get into a bit of an all-star recap here and then get into the Nate McMillan firing, uh, Westbrook joining the Clippers, and then of course, uh, all our Raptors goodies. So yeah. uh, let's start start off with uh mac mcclung so last week i was saying you know i was like i don't know anything about anyone in this year's slam dunk contest but i'm hoping for a star is born moment and we got it it's it's like that movie you go to that you haven't heard anything about you haven't checked the reviews and it's like okay you got no expectations right and then all of a sudden mac mcclung goes out there does his thing and you're like wow that was incredible um yeah all four dunks were amazing um i saw this thing about how he had ninety thousand followers on ig like going mm. into the weekend and now he's at 1.1 million <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's that incredible. pretty much explains his performance <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. I mean, it, I think it's like the closest thing to like a Jeremy Lin moment, right? Like the Lin sanity that we've had since, right? Like it, that's kind of how it felt to me over the course of the weekend. Like it was really like, wow, this guy came out of nowhere. Well, out of nowhere for most NBA fans, right? Yeah. Who weren't the 90,000 following him on Instagram. And yeah. and now he's like, I think he has a, I should have looked into this. Does he have a 10 day with the with Philly? Right. Yeah, that's why he's wearing the Philly jersey, right? Or I don't know if they signed him for the rest of the season or not. So, you know, technically an NBA player now. Um, but I love this. I do feel like this helped revive the slam dunk contest. I am perfectly okay with other people, whether they're from the G League or what, being in the contest. Because I think at the end of the day, we just really want to see good creative dunks and he did a great job of just adding his own spin to like classics we've seen before and and i think that's what it's gonna be going forward right like there's only so many ways to dunk a basketball but doing little things like the double pump and stuff like that um and then you know we've seen people jump over people before but it's still impressive because he's six foot two and, and also he just wanted it. Like, I just felt like he went into it with the body language of like, I want this. I'm going to win this. And that alone gets the crowd hyped up. Oh, no question. And I quickly double checked. So he got a two-way deal with the Sixers. Oh, right. And, yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of the preparedness, I think that's such a big part of it. Like when you see guys go into their dunk and it's like, they're kind of like, oh, should I do this? Should I do that? And then mm-hmm. they're kind of talking to, you know, whoever's throwing them the ball. It's like, okay, you really didn't even care about this. Yeah. <laughs> and then you see the people who show up and it's like, they've got idea after idea and they just execute it the first time. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes a dunk special, right? Like when you just get it the first time, everything is clean. Like that's what makes the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine showdown so special, right? They were doing these insane dunks and they were pulling them all off on the first attempt. And again, it goes back to Vince as well, right? Like Mm -hmm. first try everything nails it. You look at the four dunks here, like the, the first one with the tapping it off the backboard element was so crazy because no one saw that at first. And then you see the replay and it's like, oh, not only did he jump over like one and a half people, I won't say a full two, but 
He then taps it off the backboard, does the reverse. Then he does the reverse 360. Then he's got the Hezzy with the two-handed reverse. And then the 540. And it's like, you look at the replays of these dunks and it's like, this is a six foot one, six foot two man putting his head level with the rim, which is just insane. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing I look at too, is like when I think of say Nate Robinson or uh, Spud Webb, it's like mm-hmm. super, super athletic dunks. Um, but I think most of them you look at, it was like, they were on the way down as they dunk it, as you would expect for people of their size. But for McClung to be dunking it with like his head at the rim is just like bonkers. Yeah, I I agree. And, and, you know, you said it like when you see something on the replay that you didn't even see the first time, that's the best. Like that is the feeling you want, you know? And when I talk about like, um, like the body language, like, you know, not to like, you know, uh, dunk on this guy pun intended but, <laughs> <laughs> uh like jericho sims right with the two like with the elbows in you know the first time you were like okay cute yeah you know right you did that i did feel he really tried to sneak in the second hand like in the replay you're like okay this guy's really like pushing his arm in after the fact yeah. and yeah. then when he did it the second time i was like this guy doesn't even look like he wants to do this dunk and then when he tried to, re, you know, rip the envelope, I was like, this guy doesn't even look like he wants to rip this envelope. Like in his head, he's like, I know this isn't a 50, but yeah. I committed to the bit and now I have to open this envelope. And it's <laughs> like, I don't even know why you would do that dunk two times in a row because it seems painful. Yeah. Like maybe that's why he had the dread of, I mean, I'm projecting here. Like I can't confirm that he had <laughs> dread, but I'm just saying he gave that impression. Maybe he, he felt that because he didn't expect his arms to hurt as much as they did. But why would you do the same dunk? I don't understand. Yeah. I think what's disappointing is when you see him do the elbow dunk the first time, your takeaway is like, oh, this guy's pretty athletic. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to see what he can really do. Um, and that's kind of what you want to show with that first dunk, right? It's almost like a teaser, like, hey, I can, can this guy do more? And like, that's what the first dunk looked like is like, okay, this guy can do more. And so to come back with the same thing, that was a huge letdown. And mm-hmm. so, and so I think he was probably one of those guys that could have used a bit more research. Like you've got some big men from the past that you could look to and be like, mm-hmm. oh, they did some cool things. Um, and so, yeah, he kind of petered out there. Yeah. I mean, also like shout out to Trey Murphy, the third, you know, great, great showing great effort. Like I think also what makes a really good dunk contest is competition, right? Like that's why we always talk about the, the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine thing, or even like if you rewatch Vince Carter's dunk contest, like Tracy McGrady and and Steve Francis were really did their thing. They were really good. And so it was like, I remember like that last dunk that Vince does with the, the free throw two handed thing. It was this like safe dunk to secure the win. Right. And (laughs) and it's like so ridiculous when you look back at that now, but that's how the competition (laughs) felt in the moment. And it's like, I think like if Vince knew like I'm not coming back to this contest, maybe he would have given us something a little with a little extra sauce on yeah. it. Who knows? But um so, but, yeah. Vince has talked about this and Vince has said that he had another dunk, but because it's because like his goal coming into the competition was to get all fifties. Mm-hmm. But because Kenny didn't give him the fifty he was like, whatever, like, it doesn't matter if I get a 50 now. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. And so if he had that incentive of like, oh, I can get perfect scores all the way through, I think he does a different dunk. Interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, he, like he's still mad at it. Like not not like mad, mad, but like playful mad uh, that Kenny didn't give him the 50. Oh, that's interesting. I thought he was going to be mad that he just didn't do the dunk. <laughs> but I mean, and and then in this one this year, Lisa Leslie gave uh, McClung a nine on yeah. one of the dunks. Otherwise, he would have had all 50s, I believe. Right. Um, 
Well, and now they've got the they've adjusted the scoring, right? Oh, so it's out of like, fifty. So yeah, she gave him like a forty nine instead yeah, of exactly. fifty. I mean, yeah. but um, but I okay, I want to defend this choice because I think it gives him something to aspire to. Mm. So he comes back next year thinking, hey. This I want to get this get time. I want to get all fifties. Like I think in the moment you're like, what? but I actually think this is a good thing. Right. I mean, hopefully he comes back. That is so yeah. Fingers now, crossed. Now I mean, there's a, a lot of assumption there, but I saw Lisa Leslie say, like, I think it was shortly after she was still on the court, she's being interviewed. And she was like, I wanted to give him something to aspire to. That's what she said. That, that was right. the decision behind it. And I was like, you know, I, I like that. I do like that. <laughs> so, I think looking ahead, this could work out great if, you know, McClung comes back and then Shaden Sharp actually does the dunk contest. Yes. Like yeah, if you yeah. get those two, I think that could be lights out, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I don't know who else might figure into it, but I think that's a good starting point for, for next sure. Year. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the game for a bit. Um, the game is getting a lot of terrible reviews and feedback. A lot of people are saying like, you know, it's, it was really boring. There's no defense. Um, the ratings have come in. The ratings for the game are actually quite low. Um, and a lot of people are talking about how to make the game more competitive. I mean, the way I see it is, first of all, all-star games not being competitive is not new. Okay, we've had a few really great competitive all-star games, but really in the last 20 years, there's just been a handful of competitive games, I would say, right. in the all-star game. Um, yeah, definitely want to – here, I'll, I'll reserve my thoughts before I go on a tangent. Vivek, what do you think? <laughs> How do you think we should save the all-star game? So first off, I think the frustration comes down to the fact that I think we all seem to come to this agreement that the first three quarters are going to be whatever, but give us that competitive fourth quarter right? where things are on the line. And so I think this is where people felt let down where the fourth quarter was garbage too. And so it's like, okay, what was the point of this? Right? Like you saw some nice dunks, but that was it. Um, and like, I think for all those players there, like that's what the all-star game is supposed to be, right? Like for a few minutes, just being able to see the best of the best go at it, right? Like mm -hmm. even when you think back to um, like the all-star game where Kyle Lowry takes that charge, it's like part of why I and I think other people gained a whole new level of respect for Embiid was like, these are the best of the best. And they're literally just throwing it down to Embiid every single time. And mm -hmm. he's posting up whoever it is and they can't do anything to stop him. And so I think that element of it is fun and important. And so I think losing that, like for the first three quarters, if you want to go off and just have fun, go ahead. Right. But just give us like the 10, 12 minutes or, you know, playing up to that target score, let that be competitive. And so I think losing that is where, people are kind of like, okay, we don't want to see all four quarters of just whatever. Mm -hmm. I I agree. I mean, I think the charity, you know, and like the, having the different charities and then having it playing up to the quarter each time was supposed to address that. And I think it really did the first year they did it. Like yeah. it felt like a really positive change. And now there's kind of this feeling of maybe they're over it. Yeah. I'm not really sure. Like, I think it, it's hard because on one hand, I understand maybe you don't want to play so, so hard for this, you know, quote, exhibition game. You don't want to get injured no, during an all-star. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to get injured during an all-star game, blah, 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 which I get for sure. But at the same time, I really don't like this narrative that players need to be more incentivized to be yeah. in an all-star game. Right. Like that kind of bothers me because I'm like, it should be an honor to be an NBA all-star. Like, I don't know why you would need to be further incentivized to participate yeah. beyond that. Yeah. And when people say like, it doesn't matter and it's like, okay, maybe it doesn't count for the regular season, but it certainly counts for when it comes to hall of fame considerations and things like that. And so I just don't think, I don't think this idea that we need to give them more incentive is really like a thing or it should be a thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, from the Pride's uh, standpoint, I do think there is a point to be made that 
it kind of fell off the rails because you didn't have a guy like Giannis competing in it. You didn't have, you know, your Jimmy Butler's or Kyle Lowry's or Chris Paul's, you know, no Durant, no Steph Curry. I think especially with like a guy like Giannis or a Jimmy Butler, like those guys only know how to play one way, right? Like they are going to compete. And so Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. when everyone shows up in kind of that, like I'm too cool for school attitude, it takes that one person to be like, no, I actually give a shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden that guy makes you look bad and it's like, Oh, okay. You know what? I don't want to look bad, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And And I think missing that element, uh, was big. And so, yeah, again, I kind of go back to like, I thought the Elam ending really seemed to fix it. And so if you're in this state now where all four quarters are going to look like this, maybe you do have to uh, look at other solutions. Yeah, I agree. Uh, how did you feel about the live draft? Um, I thought it was good. I, I, I thought it was a good element. I, I liked you know, both of them seem to have their own strategy. Like I thought for sure, for example, when LeBron picked Embiid, uh, Giannis would straight away respond and pick Jokic. But mm-hmm. Giannis, like in his mind, he seemed dead set on like, we're just going to run and gun. So we're going to pick all these guards and forwards and we'll just play that way. And so uh, I think that strategy element of it was fun. Um, I thought Jokic was hilarious, just like, standing up <laughs> before mm-hmm. marketing i mean he explained later that he didn't even realize marketing was there and he thought he was the last guy so he just like went over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was really funny i enjoyed that yeah but um yeah i think that element of it was fun it's definitely better to do the draft that way than what we've had before where it's like just on you know, tnt halftime yeah, show and yeah, both yeah, of them yeah. are just there yeah yeah i yeah yeah it was fun um okay let's talk about the hawks they fired Nate McMillan. Um, Wait, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, do you have oh, yeah. any like fixes for the All-Star game? Do I have any fixes? I mean, not really. <laughs> I think people just need to accept it for what it is. Like yeah. it's it's a layup line. It's for the kids. Yeah. You know, that's to yeah. me. That's to me is what All-Star always is. It's for kids. Right. You know, and I and I like that. Like, I, I think it should be for kids, you know, <laughs> like give me a layup line. Give me like 10 alley-oops a quarter. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't bother me. Like, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't bother me. I do think like this year in particular suffered from, a you know, a lot of stars missing out. Um, and I do think it would help it to have like a Jimmy Butler, just like someone um, ultra competitive in there to like boost up everyone else. Um, and maybe that's kind of on the coaches to be a bit more strategic about who they pick, but I don't know. Like, I just think it matters and I just think they should care more. Right. Like, I don't think it's something like systematically wrong. Yeah. So I am team, like, let's get USA versus the world going. Like, Oh, that's fun. Announce the all-stars like separately. Like that's just be like, I forgot that that was a thing. And let's see. Team USA go up against the world and let's see a starting lineup of like Luca and Shea and Giannis and Embiid and Jokic. And let's see how that goes down. And I think that automatically adds incentive because team USA is going to want to prove a point. Team world is going to want to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you get a quality game or at, least, right. or at the right. very least a quality fourth quarter. I take it back. That's the best idea for sure. <laughs> That's the best idea. This is why I'm not a strategic mind on an NBA board, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I forgot about Cause that was a narrative that people were talking about. I want to say like a couple of years ago. And I feel yeah. like that idea kind of dwindled for some reason. That's why I say I forgot about that because it's like, it was more in the lexicon and then, it kind of disappeared. I don't really know why. I think because people thought the Elam ending like saved the game, right? And, and now they're like, we have cool it. Finishes. So we're gonna have an intern. Are we gonna have an international charity? <laughs> an international charity yeah and and an american charity that's yeah. just really getting the charities up against each other um no i love that i think that would be really exciting i do think and then also too like it would help the ratings because there's something to like anticipate yeah. going into it as opposed to just like in the moment how do we make the game more exciting like something like that would actually draw more people in 
yeah. at the beginning. So, okay, well, well done, Vivek. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> In this imaginary world of ours, yeah, yeah. introduced the Team USA versus the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, and then there's so many Canadians in the league that I think a lot of Americans don't even realize are Canadian. So then they'll be like, wait, we don't have Shay? We don't yeah. have Shay on our team? And then they'll be all like upset, you know? Yeah. Uh, which I would love to see, you know, especially because they all think they're from around the Hudson Bay. <laughs> as per that graphic a few weeks ago yeah there was um, that tnt segment where like charles barkley didn't realize dylan brooks was canadian that was really that, funny yeah yeah during the playoffs I mean, and then he lost a bet right some of the stuff we've seen lately maybe they can keep him but <laughs> yeah i know i know he's like the most un-canadian canadian he's <laughs> becoming his thing like i yeah. feel like he's becoming known for being the most un-canadian canadian yeah um yeah i like that what that first playoff series that memphis was in i was like man dylan brooks is my guy mississauga's own yeah blah 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 but now i'm just like oh no yeah the shot to mitchell i was just like like the swing at gary payton i was like that was not good but i was like you know we we make mistakes we learn move on yeah well i i've been saying on this show the past couple of weeks that i think the memphis grizzlies are just a bit too frat boy right now and i don't think they're gonna go deep into the playoffs like i think you know certainly like a second round team but i don't think they're going deeper than that because i think they're just not mature enough yeah yeah i think i think there's got to be a bit more fire to all that smoke Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah um okay yeah we we're gonna Sorry, to- no 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 i love it i love it i love it we got somewhere real nice with that derailment so thank you <laughs> um but yeah okay so uh the hawks fired nate mcmillan um they are looking for a replacement i'm not sure if they're actually going to hire this person mid-season or what's going to happen but quinn snyder has emerged as the front runner um I mean, I don't know if you have just like general thoughts on like the Hawks this season or like the timing of this firing, because I personally think the timing of this firing is a bit off. Like, you know, we had the that whole situation with them in like practice. I think that was early December, if I'm not mistaken. And everybody thought he was going to be fired then. And then he wasn't and they fired him now. And I think I don't know for a fact it hasn't been reported, but I think there might have been a second disagreement between him and Trey Young. And that's why they decided to do it now, because they really were trying to ride out the rest of the season with Nate McMillan. And it's just weird that now suddenly it it hasn't turned out. I don't know what that disagreement would have been. Maybe it's just the fact that Trey didn't make the all star game, Um, you know, or. You know, I was reading this article where like the Hawks had championship expectations, which kind of made me laugh because no one else watching the NBA has those expectations of them this year. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on the on the Hawks are. Yeah, I mean, they're another team that's like drank their Kool-Aid way too much off of that run you know, where they beat the Sixers and got to the conference finals against the Bucks, right? Like Mm -hmm. That was more a capitulation by the Sixers and Ben Simmons than it was, you know, the Hawks just being like this ridiculous team. And I think, uh, you know, you look at the comments that following season where Trey Young was like, oh, the regular season's boring. We don't care about this. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not the Warriors. You haven't won the title like three times where you get to be like, ah, you know what, the regular season. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you went to one conference finals and lost there. Like <laughs> if anything, you should be like, you know what? Like we want to put ourselves in the best position. We want to get home court, like throughout the playoffs, like target that number one seed, that type of thing. That should be how you you should be approaching it. And so to hear that w- was definitely weird. Then you look at the expectations coming into this season. It was like, where are you getting these expectations from based on what you accomplished last year? Like there's no good reason for it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, you got help in DeJounte Murray and, you know, maybe there's some of that unhappiness there in, in terms of, you know, how much the ball is in Trey Young's hands and, uh, you know, having to share the spotlight and all that kind of stuff. And I honestly think part of why the Hawks have held on to John Collins is because they do think or at least, you know, 
deep down inside, they're kind of like, hey, maybe Trey Young is the guy we got to move on from. Right. And it's like, if we do that, then, you know, John Collins kind of becomes a valuable piece next to DeJounte Murray and, you know, however else we build this team, right? Um, so I think that part of it is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because, again, like you've let go uh, of Nate McMillan now. There was Lloyd Pierce before that. Like at a certain point, like you've just got to look at it and say like Trey Young is not all he's made out to be, right? Like really nice offensive player, but in terms of like being the elite of the elite, like he's not that. Yeah, I mean, I wonder too with Trey, like, is it just about, is it more about him as a teammate than it is about his individual ability, right? right? Because it's like, he just seems to be, you know, for lack of a better term, a ball hog, right? Like he doesn't want to play off the ball. He doesn't want to, you know, really assist other people in any significant way. You know, he's not that type of leader that like really tries to help people grow around him. And I think maybe that's part of the problem. Like it's more of like a leadership or a lack of leadership thing than it is just a pure ability thing. Right. Because right. him on his own as, as his pure abilities are, I would say are fairly elite, yeah. but when you put it in a team context, that's when it really starts to fall apart. And maybe there's just like a lack of self accountability with him as well. So, you know, I think like, you know, a team like the championship Raptors, let's use that as an example, because it's something we'll all know, you know, Kyle Lowry being the vocal leader, but not necessarily the star, which was why I think is kind of rare, right? Like usually that's the same person. And I don't think Trey's that guy. And unless he had someone like a Kyle who was a leader, he actually could respect and be that vocal leader and get the team on board. I don't know if it's going to happen for him, but I think it's more of a personality thing, unfortunately, because that's, that's harder to fix. Yeah. And I think that's the overall point, right? Like is the juice worth the squeeze Mm -hmm. where like, if you're making all these demands, you've got to be like that caliber player, right? Like you've got to be a Kawhi type, a KD type, a LeBron type, right? Like, and you're not that. So if you're not that and you're making these demands, then, you know, maybe we should be looking elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're, you know, like I said, Quinn Snyder is in the front running for this job. We'll see if he gets it or if it ends up being someone else. But like, if he doesn't make it work with a third coach, that's when I think this dialogue is really going to like amp up. Yeah. And, um, you know, it'd be so unfortunate for the Hawks, you know, because they literally traded Luca for this guy. And, you know, at one point, you know, during that, that Eastern Conference finals run, I was like, you know, he's not better than Luca, but maybe he's a better personality fit for this city. You know, maybe right. he's a better culture fit. Um, maybe, you know, it's like the way I look at it is, I mean, not that they're the same type of player at all, but it's like, imagine the Cavs traded LeBron for Carmelo Anthony. You know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, you traded away LeBron. That's really bad. But at least you have Carmelo Anthony. You know what I mean? It's like you still have a really good player. And maybe that's still someone you can build around, right? And I think that was sort of my mentality looking at the Hawks. But now things are really kind of crumbling more and more for them. And, you know, well, I, I would be shocked. I would be shocked if a coach was actually able to turn this around for them. Yeah, same. I think it's, I think you've, put yourself if you're the hawks you put yourself in the position where you can say hey like this is the third coach we try to put around you and it hasn't worked like at a certain point there's only so many coaches we can fire (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. and so now like the onus as you said is very much on him like if it doesn't work with whoever this third coach ends up being then it's like hey trey like maybe you need to look in the mirror (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely uh, speaking of looking in the mirror, uh, <laughs> Westbrook, <laughs> another player who doesn't do that enough, in my opinion, has Perfect joined segue. the Clippers via a buyout with the Jazz, part of the Lakers trade. Um, what do you what do you think of this fit? Do you think this is a good move for the Clippers? So just say no, and then we move on to the next segment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. There we go. (laughs) Segment done. Um, No, I think, 
I think ideally they needed more of a traditional guard. Um, and I think when you hear Lawrence Frank say that they wanted a low usage guy, they wanted a guy that doesn't need the ball. They wanted a guy that can shoot the three. And then you go and announce the signing of Russell Westbrook. It's like, wait, what happened here? Right. And it seems like mm-hmm. they kind of cater to what PG and Kawhi would have wanted. Um, and let's be honest, Kawhi has not proven to be the best GM. Um, yeah, a lot of these guys haven't proven to be good GMs. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and this is a huge year for the Clippers, right? Like you are at that point where it's kind of make and break and Kawhi, like, Hey, from a family standpoint, no one can ever argue that decision to go home and be closer to them. But from a basketball standpoint, we are at that point now where if you don't win it this year or next year, like you're looking at one of the worst free agent decisions in history, right? Mm -hmm. Like you had a championship team, you could have gone very likely back to back and what you've accomplished since on the basketball court is not close to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Like I, you know, Paul George and Westbrook did have a good relationship when they were in OKC together. Um, They did make it to the, I want to say the first round of the playoffs when they were a thing during uh, Westbrook's MVP season. Yeah. Um, So I I can see Houston, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think that's right. So like, I do see that friendship connection. And, you know, if you if you're really trying to talk yourself into it, you'd be like, well, these two played really well together. Right. And and Westbrook didn't have that with the Lakers. And that's partly true. But Westbrook is also, you know, like you said, not a traditional point guard. He is another person who I would say doesn't like to play off the ball which is going to be ridiculous next to someone like Kawhi who like really needs the ball a lot. And mm-hmm. in addition, it's like, he's not really a catch and shoot guy either. Yep. You know what I mean? So yep. it's like, I don't I mean, really understand the fit. He'll catch it and he'll shoot it. The problem is the result. He won't make it. <laughs> <laughs> he's a catch, shoot and miss guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's a catch, shoot and brick guy, but uh, you know, yeah, like it's I don't see the fit. I kind of love it, though, because for the chaos, I love it for chaos reasons. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm one of I don't it's like I have this weird thing with Kawhi because he did leave Toronto where it's like, look, I get it. Like I've been to L.A. I get it. But also <laughs> like you really would have been a back to back champion here. And it really and he would have only been here for so long because of the pandemic. So, right. you know, but not that he would have known that. But, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I'm kind of like, I resent the Clippers for how much they try to copy the Raptors more than I resent Kawhi going to the Clippers, if that makes sense. So for <laughs> that reason alone, I kind of love this idea of them having Westbrook for chaos reasons. That's me being extremely petty. I don't yeah. love pettiness, but that's just my petty moment. And then also, too, if they have Westbrook and then if they – is Westbrook a free agent this year? Uh, Well, he, he's been bought out, right? So so no. So no. So basically at the end of this season – He will be. Um, yeah. See, because they're going to go after Fred. And I hate that. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of teams are reporting they're going after Fred, and as they should because he's great. But – a part of me is like, if they sign Fred, I'm going to be so annoyed. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't think the Clippers have the cap space. Like, I'd have to double. They check. don't have the space to sign Fred. Yeah. But they want someone like Fred. And honestly, they need someone like Fred, objectively speaking. But yeah. I don't want them to have Fred. So right. if they're busy with Westbrook, then that's just, like, good for us. And I'm just being petty. There you go. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember being super petty when... Uh, the Nuggets lock, uh, knocked the Clippers out of yeah, the bubble, right? Yeah. And it was like, Jamal is doing this for Raptors fans in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and then we had all the jokes on Twitter, and that was amazing. And then I think I reached a point where with Kawhi's injuries, I was like, man, I just want to see this guy like play basketball at a high level again. You know, yeah, I kind of yeah, yeah. feel for him. Um, but... 
I think we can have the best of both, right? Like, I think we can see Kawhi play amazing and the Clippers flame out in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And be like, yep, we're both miserable together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I look, I don't like, even if Kawhi is healthy, I don't think the Clippers are winning a championship this season. Although, you know, Kawhi, when, he, when you do see him play, it's like, man, you know, who wouldn't want this guy on their team, right? Yeah. Like, he's so good. I, I mean, I'm curious to see if he'll be able to play a full seven-game series. Like, a part of me was like, is he going to sit out some of these games in a playoff Well, the good series? thing with the playoffs is there's no back-to-backs, right? There's no back-to-backs, but it's just like... I mean, also, too, it's like when you think about rest, it's like, okay, this is the moment you're resting him for. But, like, that... Like, when he went through it with us, it's like, that was a grind. And you could tell, like, he was, like, limping his way into the oh, finals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't know if he has that in him again. I think he would be better off not being the best player on his team it, it, to be in the most optimal winning situation so that there was someone else. Like, literally, if they kept Shea, right? right. Like, if they keep Shea yeah. and they have Kawhi, then Shea could yeah. have really carried a lot of that burden right. during the regular season. And and then he's, like, incredibly reliable. And then when it comes to the playoffs, it's like, okay, Kawhi has this playoff experience. I could have a moment to take over. Or if I'm really not feeling it tonight, I have someone like you. But I think with Paul George, unfortunately, they got two players that are not reliable due to injuries. And yeah. it's just this whole thing. Like, they, I don't know, man. They should have kept Shea. Oh, yeah, no question. Right. Like you would have had the picks, you would like the flexibility you would have had would have just been crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kawhi didn't see it that way. Right. And again, this goes back to Kawhi, the GM. It's like he couldn't he didn't see what he had in Toronto mm-hmm. um, and he wanted like he was making like these ludicrous demands. Right. Like giving up everything for like Russ and PG and you know, when you hear that kind of stuff and then obviously the Uncle Dennis demands, uh-huh. um, it's like, okay, he obviously just wants to go. Now, you know, from a basketball standpoint, again, you got to show that it was worth it. And this year, next year, it's make or break because I don't think there's much of a window beyond that. Yeah, I agree. Talking about making it or breaking it, let's move <laughs> on to our Raptors Homer moment. So uh, we're recording this on Thursday, the 23rd. It's before the Pelicans game. So we haven't had games in the last week, although uh, OG and Anobi and Gary Trent Jr. are back in practice. We're close to full strength. Uh, there's a lot of talk about us going for the sixth seed in the eastern conference i think that means we'd have to go like 17 and 5 or 17 and 6 something like that um at least least in order to uh hit the sixth seed um we are on a bit of a high you know with yaka pearl white like we are seeing some improvements that game against orlando felt very promising in which to build on um where's your optimism meter with this team right now yeah, so they've won five out of six games, which is pretty new and uncommon this season. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that realistically, they're looking at getting up to maybe eighth. I think yeah. catching Miami is going to be tough. I think catching New York or Brooklyn is going to be tough. So I think the top seven is a bit unrealistic at this point. Um just because I think New York will stay solid. Uh, Brooklyn is probably the team that tails off a little bit, but they're 10 games over 500. It's like, they're going to be there. Enough, yeah. I don't think there's enough time left in the season for them to completely fall off. Right. And they've got still like a decent rotation with Claxton mm-hmm. and Bridges and Cam Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie. So it's not like they're just going to be a team that rolls over. So mm-hmm. that's why I do think realistically, you know, can they get ahead of the Wizards? Sure. Can they get rid- uh, get ahead of the Hawks? Sure. But Miami, New York, and Brooklyn, I think that's a bit too high for me. What about you? Uh, I agree. And then also if the Hawks hire Quinn Snyder and <laughs> make a huge run. I mean, we're kind of at that point where it's like anything can happen, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do think the sixth seed is like extremely optimistic. I think 
even in as oh god raptor fans don't get mad at me but like literally as as little as a week from now we could we might be in a position where we're not talking about the six seed anymore i don't think that's actually gonna happen but you know i i do think that is somewhat wildly optimistic although sometimes it's fun to be wildly optimistic but i do think the play in is more so where we're going to be at however i will say if we are in the play in we will be very much on an upward trajectory and i don't think we're going to be a team in the play in that anyone wants to face and i do feel confident that if we are in the play in we could end up in the playoffs i will say that Gotta love that incoming sweep by Milwaukee or Boston. Oh, yeah. And then we're going to get swept by them for sure. Then we're getting swept in Boston, by Boston or Milwaukee. But, uh, you know, oh, God, you know, Brooke Lopez just has like the game of his life against Pirtle or something. And then we're all just yeah. miserable. No, but uh, yeah, I do think that that could happen. But I think not being in the play in feels feels hard right now. But if but if we got yeah. there, that'd be amazing because now we're not going to get swept against yeah. Milwaukee or Boston, which I guess is the goal. But it might be you know too little, too late. Yeah, might have to watch out for Chicago. They got uh, playing King Patrick Beverly. So oh, God, you know, yeah, they sure did. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? If I'm fine, if Patrick Beverly wants to jump on the on the scorer's table in yeah. chicago you know <laughs> like he can he can have that i don't think the bulls fans will respond the same way like they have a championship legacy that uh the side, does by not side of like if beverly were to get on the scorers table seeing that celebration <laughs> side by side with like mj on the scorers table after a championship <laughs> Like, I mean, like, I mean, Chicago fans aren't Detroit fans, but someone would want to just throw something at him, I think. If he did that. that would be amazing content. Yeah, it'd be like, I'm not I'm not signing up for this joke. But um, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, speaking of the Bulls, like they they're sitting out Lonzo Ball for the, the season, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, um, you know, hoping he can recover for next season because he's still like a pretty young player yeah. uh, to be going through these injury woes. And yeah, Beverly might even be starting for the Bulls at this point, um, which is kind of wild, but we'll see. Um yeah, he could he you know, he has proven to be a difference maker in the playoffs, even if it is just staring down Chris Paul, but and pushing him in the back. Um, <laughs> he has proven to be a difference maker nonetheless. Yeah. yeah, I do think the you know, and we have the fifth uh most competitive schedule going into these last games of the season I read, the right. Raptors do. So it, it's it's a tough road ahead of us, but I do think in any case having a true center and portal is going to help us. And I do think it will give us a lot to build on, uh, presuming we can, you know, retain a lot of our talent in the off season. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, you know, now these next 20 ish games, you figure out what's what, and you have OG healthy and you have Gary healthy and you see how the pieces fit and what's best and you make your free agent decisions from there. You make your trade decisions from there. And, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it, like the one thing front office has made a statement on with that portal trade is they 100% plan on being very, very good next season. Right. The fact yes. that the fact that they gave away the first round pick and only protected it top six tells me that, Hey, you plan on being very, very good next season where, you know, that pick ends up in the twenties, then you're saying, okay, that's, that's fine to surrender to get back Jakob Pertl. But mm-hmm. if it's something that's in the top 10 then you're like, Hey, what happened here? Yep. I, uh, I completely agree. I mean, the one last thing I'll say in some Raptors optimism here is that we are going to be healthy going into this final stretch which is huge so that's definitely fingers crossed uh, at least as of the moment of this recording which we all know anything can change uh we yeah. are projected to be healthy so i do think that's really going to help us um vivek one thing i didn't put on our docket 
but I read just before we started recording is um, I saw one report last week. I think it was David Thorpe talking about Nick Nurse on, is on the hot seat. And then I saw today the Toronto Star was also reporting it. Have mm-hmm. you have you seen any of this? Are you on top of any of this? How do you feel about this? So I'm really throwing this topic at you. No, no, no. So I do think David Thorpe's comments got thrown out of context a little bit just because when he was speaking on his podcast, he was saying that, you know, usual NBA tradition is you look to resolve the problem through coaching before the players. And so his argument was like, hey, I like OG and Pascal and Scotty and all these guys a lot. I would be looking to move on from nurse before I traded those guys. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't so much a, hey, the Raptors just have to fire Nick Nurse. And, you know, well, that it that does clear up a lot, because even when I was reading the the star article, it very much implied that Nick Nurse was firmly on the hot seat. And then I was confused because I was like, whoa, if the star is reporting that, then that's like a really big deal. But yeah, I mean, and that's certainly true. I mean, we're seeing that right now with the Hawks, right? Like they're firing Nate McMillan before they try to do some sort of blockbuster Trey Young deal, right? They're giving him multiple chances. And I think that is what typically happens in the NBA, probably as it should be, right? Because, you know, the players, it is a very player driven league. And it, to me, it doesn't make sense to do anything otherwise. And I think like when I when I saw those comments, it it really like I feel like it gave me a lot of clarity in terms of what happened at the trade deadline. And it also made me realize that so many of these rumors were a huge tailspin of anxiety and anguish and and projections from people maybe even from some media members as well and that they were really unfounded at the end of the day and i think as fans we need to like remember that as we go through times like that you know we're going to go through it again during free agency you know that a lot of these things are not always true and 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 even i was like very convinced we were going to make some sort of like a a larger move than what we did based on just how much was being reported, how much we were being hounded with the idea that we were making a big move, that it felt so inevitable. And then when it didn't, it was a shock. It was like maybe disappointing. People were like, we don't know what this means. And to hear someone be like, yeah, you usually fire a coach before you trade all your best players away. And then you're kind of like, Oh yeah, of course, if things got worse, we would do that first. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the last thing I'll say about Nick Nurse is I would be against firing him at the end of this season because for me, like you do have to assess the body of work. And in terms of when he started 2018, 19, uh, at the very least, you would say that he met expectations, mm-hmm. if not exceeded them, right? Uh, 2019, 20, I would say he exceeded expectations, right? That Raptors team was amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, then you had Tampa. So that's just out the window. Uh, last year, they exceeded expectations. So uh-huh. this is the first time that you can say that he's underperformed. And right. so to just fire him that first time he does that, based on what he's done in the past, I would be against that. The only way I would support it is if the players have privately been very against him and have completely turned on him, which also when I look at the product on the court, I don't see that, right? right. Like I, I don't think you would see some of these comebacks and you know, even, even if they're fake comebacks, I don't, I don't think you would see that with a coach that they've given up on. Right. You'd just see them let go of the rope, right? And so, um, I, you know, there's certainly... Uh, points of friction that have happened uh, this season, or even if you go back to Tampa and, you know, Pascal and Nick having Mm -hmm. that disagreement. So those points of friction absolutely exist, but I don't think anyone's at a point where it's like, he's got to go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an excellent point. And one thing I was noting, I think it was last week on this podcast, that I just feel like he's lost a bit of his joy 
just in his body language on the bench like he's not like crouching like he used to like squatting and like you know being as animated as he used to be which is like one of the things i love about nick nurse is just how animated he can get and just like his facial expressions like he has no poker face you know what i mean like i i love that about him and i just feel like we've kind of lost that in the last maybe couple months but you know i think that happens when your team's struggling and stuff and like a lot of those losses especially i want to say in january were pretty heartbreaking because they were close games and you did feel like this team is like getting somewhere but we're just not getting over the hump in these games and so now that we have purtle and we you know fingers crossed are figuring more out you know maybe he'll be able to distribute minutes a bit better um you know, especially with a healthy squad, like Precious being back, I think really helps a lot with that too. Um, maybe we'll end this season, you know, regardless of the actual placement, it just in a much better place overall. And um, yeah, I agree. This is the first time he hasn't met expectations, but this is also the first time the team hasn't either met or exceeded expectations. And I think that's been challenging too. Like I know like in, um, you know, at the beginning of the season when a lot of people do their over-unders, And everyone's always like, pick the over on the Raptors, pick the over on the Raptors, because they're always over. It's been this way for like seven years. And then this is like the one year, you know, like you said, Tampa aside, that it's been this way. And I think that's like new for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, coaches are allowed to get better, too. Right. We always put coaches in these boxes where we judge them and we say, oh, this guy's an offensive coach. This guy's a defensive coach. And we're like, this is what they are. Coaches get better with time, too. Right. And I think there'll be an opportunity for him to learn and grow from this as well. And who's to say he doesn't come back an even better coach next season? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, here's hoping. Um, Vivek, it is time for our new segment. It is the Raptors hottie highlight of the week. I decided I could not keep manufacturing Nick Nurse hottie highlights any longer. (laughs) He does not give me that level of content. Mm. Uh, So it is our Raptors hottie highlight of the week. And it goes to Pascal Siakam's camcorder. Uh, this (laughs) This was the moment for uh during all-star weekend outside of the actual games and events itself he was having a lot of fun with his camcorder saying what's up to scotty posting his clips on social media you know saying what's up to donovan mitchell having that cute filter on it vibing during the halftime musical performances uh and uh and he loved it he, you know he could you could tell he really wanted to be there he was really happy to be there uh pascal was certainly like you know of the of the uh what's the word but you could tell he was like he wanted it you know when you're talking earlier about how other players are kind of being a bit more lethargic like pascal was not that guy and it was and it was really fun to see yeah and he had that intro to the halftime show with Mm burna boy and he was having such a great time there um yeah i loved this all-star weekend for pascal and yeah the camera was definitely the real mvp (laughs) (laughs) one thing i was a little disappointed by was during the slam dunk contest they should have cut to pascal yeah right just like how they did with Shaq, like having that moment like they never cut to him yeah which was kind of like that was a miss that was a huge miss because you want that mirroring moment and they didn't they didn't do that but that's not pascal's fault he came prepared he came ready. He understood the assignment. He understood the assignment, <laughs> and uh, and whoever the the director and the camera switcher up in the control booth there, they didn't they didn't get it right. But you know, any it, in any way, Raptors fans had fun with it. So that's my hottie highlight of the week. Love it. Great pick. Thank you, Vivek. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, for everyone listening, who uh, you know, let us know where they can find you on the internets. Yeah, for sure. You can find all my work at raptors.com and you can find all my work posted on Twitter if you follow me at Vivek M. Jacob. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Bye.